0: have material scrambled. I mean that's really the best way to describe this material that is from Q dispersed into Matthew and Luke amidst the structure from Mark it's like it's been scrambled and one scrambles in one direction and one scrambles in another direction. One adjusts the order in sequence one way the other another and it's it can kind of be slippery and things can slip through your fingers. And so my plan was, and has been, and thus far we have done this, has been to follow the account of the Sermon on the Mount, which has some of the most scrambled material in it, <laughs> um, uh, uh, using Matthew's sequence. gives it a little more interesting and an easily um, graspable graspable structure. So what I've done is prepared... What is essentially, if you take a look at the large chart, essentially what I've done is take the Sermon on the Mount from chapter 5 all the way down here through the end of chapter 7 and the parallels in Luke's Gospel from chapter 6, where it begins right here, all the way through chapter 16, verse 18, where it ends, Distributed. And I have created, essentially, a telescoped version just of the Sermon on the Mount material, drawing from the chart, in part, as well as from other sources. So here you have sort of a zoomed in, focused in specifically upon the Sermon on the Mount as the guide. So the parallels that exist are only those drawn... From the Sermon on the Mount, okay, in Matthew, and its parallels in Luke. You can see that the Luke material is much longer because it, it covers all, the, it covers ten chapters of material. The Luke material covers ten chapters with the sayings parallel from Matthew dispersed throughout it, those ten chapters. Whereas in Matthew, it's confined to essentially three chapters. So you have here the parallels on the right from Luke that are found in Matthew, with Matthew as the guide for sequencing. You can see, if you go straight across, the introduction is parallel, the Beatitudes portion is parallel. If you go down, you see retaliation is parallel you see loving enemies is parallel straight across judging is parallel judging a brother is parallel trees and fruit is parallel lord lord is parallel the two builders is parallel isn't that fascinating certain stories dispersed chronologically uh, in sequence uh, canonically not chronologically (laughs) Canonically, in sequence in Matthew, are paralleled in Luke with only one insertion into the body of it in that distribution. That's the golden rule, which comes later in the sequence from Matthew. Then you see from Matthew, things are distributed further out in sections, in groupings. Some of them are closely linked groupings, some are not. Salt in 513 of Matthew is distributed all the way down to 14:34:35 the same teaching in Matthew's gospel we saw distributed we've already seen this distributed way down to 14:34:35 in Luke lamp 5:14 through 16 in Matthew we we saw distributed all the way down to 11:33 in Luke the law at 5, 17 through 20 in Matthew is distributed almost to the very end, sixteen seventeen in Luke. So you can see there's been a distribution of material, material that is found in this particular sequence in Matthew. Some of it has been distributed further down in Luke's Gospel. That's a very fascinating observation. Lots of different arguments have been offered for why this happened this way. One of those arguments comes from those scholars who don't believe in the existence of Q, who argue that Q did not exist. It's a hypothetical document anyway, therefore will dispense with the theory that it existed and instead say that Luke had access to Matthew and to Mark and that he used Matthew for the source material for the stuff that's not in Mark. And he didn't like the sequencing in Matthew, therefore he redistributed the same material elsewhere in his gospel. Those arguments, while appealing, do not answer many of the other problems that exist. Why is some of the material in Luke more primitive sounding, more, sounds more like it might have originally been uh, stated Blessed are the poor, instead of blessed are the poor in spirit, for instance. Um, Or as we will see tonight in the Our Father, the the commonly called Lord's Prayer, uh, the Luke version is much more brief, and yet it's all there, as opposed to Matthew's, which is more expansive. If Luke is quoting Matthew for this Q material, that we call Q material, why is he not quoting it completely? if he's quoting it from Matthew. So the argument that Luke is using Matthew and redistributing the material doesn't hold water, plus why some of these redistributions. Whereas if both are pulling from a common source, Q, then how they pulled it will vary from one to the other depending upon the distribution within the original body of material. They frequently, and this is true especially outside of this sequence of material, the Sermon on the Mount material, they tend to pull it in generally a very similar order. As you can see, even here, going parallel across from Matthew to Luke, straight across, you see a significant amount of the material is straight across parallel. Straight across in the same sequence. And even when you distribute them further down, sometimes they end up being in the same or similar sequence. Let's make some room here. And yes, we did start a little early. It's not just you. So, uh, you have the same sequence, and sometimes you have the same sequence even when distributed elsewhere, and that's true in other portions of, of the Gospels, not just the Sermon on the Mount material. So, why would that happen unless there was another document that Matthew and Luke were using independent of each other. And this is the result, all right? You could have, interestingly enough, done something very similar, reversed, where you cite Luke as the basic sequence and look at how Matthew distributed differently. You can't do it from this segment, but you can do it from elsewhere. But it's easier to do it from Matthew because many scholars believe, and I agree with them on this, that Matthew tends to quote Q in larger chunks, less edited chunks, whereas Luke draws from it as a source and inserts the accounts in various places, sometime in the same sequence, sometimes distributed widely. All right?
1: So in in Matthew, when you have the Sermon on the Mount where all this is laid out, Yeah, it seems it gives the appearance that it is one continuous dialogue from mm-hmm. Jesus that's going on, Right. but then when you move it into Luke because of its spacing if you were just reading Luke you would never even think that it was, you would think it was random sayings that Jesus would have said that he just inserted.
0: The Sermon on the Mount disappears right. it's so, not even on a mount, he's in the plane, <laughs> yes. he's actually in a bowl. In Matthew's gospel he's sitting up on the hill talking to people down towards the sea of Galilee. In Luke's gospel he's standing down on the sea of Galilee talking to people up the hill. In an amphitheater style setting. So the setting is inverted.
1: But do you think that
0: And it's not nearly as much material in Luke as it is in Matthew. So it's not as noticeable as such. The beatitudes are there, and that's about it in Luke's Gospel. Yes? But
1: do you think that it truly was given the way Matthew is presenting it?
0: I tend to think that Q presented the material more like Matthew presented it. And I tend to think that to an extent in the larger chunks of material like you have from Matthew, what you're getting is compiled teachings of Jesus that very well do interrelate and connect with each other, as they do in the Sermon on the Mount, as we will see tonight, as we have seen in previous nights. One teaching piece extends onto the next teaching piece, which extends onto the next teaching piece. We just saw that in the material we finished the last couple of times, where we dealt with, with swearing, retaliation, and love of enemies, and they seem to interconnect with each other. We'll see that with giving and prayer and the our father they seem to interconnect with each other and that interconnection could either be artificial on matthew's part artificial on q's part or could actually be how jesus articulated it and got written down in q and then copied by matthew and which and that then brings up one problem because copied by matthew and in some cases, ignored in Luke. One of the problems in synoptic studies is what to do with the material that is unique to Luke and Matthew that is interspersed within and amongst the Q material. And I'll show you what I mean. Here's Matthew. Graphically distributed. Here's Luke. Graphically distributed. The material in Luke that is yellow is unique to Luke. And at the beginning, that's easy. That's the narrative stuff. The birth narrative stuff. The pre-birth narrative material. In Matthew, it's the same way. The white material is the narrative material. The genealogy of Jesus. The birth of Jesus. The magi. The flight to Egypt. That material that is unique to Matthew with regards to the nativity. They then both have suddenly stuff straight out of Mark with John the Baptist. But then you get down a little distance and you see lots of blue here and here and lots of white in Luke and yellow, and white Matthew and yellow in Luke. In other words, you get the blue, the Q material, the stuff that agrees between Matthew and Luke, but you also get distributed within it lots of yellow from Luke or white from Matthew that's unique to each. Matthew is unique material in Matthew is represented in white. Unique in Luke is represented in yellow. And while you have a large section of blue, you notice there's lots of chunks of white. We've already covered many of these. Murder, adultery, oaths, almsgiving, prayer, fasting, pearls before swine, all that material is unique. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount is unique to Matthew. Keep going. Skip on down beyond the Sermon on the Mount. Healing of the two blind men. a uh, wheat and the tares. Interpretation of the tares. Treasure. The pearl of great price. All of that is unique to Matthew. Found nowhere else. The parable of the unmerciful servant. The parable of laborers in the vineyard. Unique to Matthew. Let's take a look at Luke. Amidst the material straight out of the Sermon on the Mount. You've got part of the love of enemies section. It seems to be unique to Luke. You've got the raising of the widow's son. The anointing in the house of a Pharisee. Skipping on down. Inhospitable Samaritans. The parable of the good Samaritan is unique to Luke. Hmm. The parable of the rich fool is unique to Luke. The parable of the prodigal son is unique to Luke. Interesting. We have parables. Prodigal son. Good Samaritan. Um, We have parables in the unmerciful servant and the laborers in the vineyard. Those are four parables, two unique to one, two unique to the other. Both of them strong characteristics of the other material that comes straight out of Q. They sound like Q. They seem to function a lot like the other Q material does that teach the same kind of messages as the Q material does, but they're unique to Matthew and Luke. Some scholars will say, well, since they're unique to Matthew and Luke, we can't assign it to Q. Oh. Other scholars will say, well, because they sound like Q, we assign it to Q. But then they have the problem of why doesn't the other author quote it? And you notice, it goes both ways. Luke quotes the prodigal son's story. Why isn't that in Matthew? Luke quotes the, the uh, Good Samaritan parable. Why isn't that in Matthew? Likewise, why doesn't Luke contain the parable of the unmerciful servant or the parable of the laborers in the vineyard? Why, why, why is this material distributed, sometimes spaced out, and sometimes not at all? And you can't get a single answer from any scholar, by the way. I, got, I just reviewed 17 books in my office on this very subject on Q or the studies of the, synoptics, the Gospels, the synoptic problem. I found 17 different opinions. <laughs> <laughs> Actually more than that because they cited other opinions beyond what they had. But 17 authors with 17 different opinions on this very subject, various nuances. The general attitude seems to be that even though most of Q is made up of material that is common to both, and hence the blue material in Luke and in Matthew, some of the material in Q shows up unique only in Luke or in Matthew. And for some reason, one or the other didn't quote it. And those four examples that I gave are four very powerful examples that are clearly primitive, clearly early, clearly rooted in the Jesus tradition, clearly echoing the character and nature of Jesus' ministry and mission, clearly speaking to us without question from Jesus, not the product of a fanciful author, not the product of Matthew, not the product of Luke, clearly coming to us from a strong early Jesus teaching like the material around them. From Q. well,
2: did, does Matthew deal with the issue dealt with in the Prodigal Son in a different way, or is uh-huh. the issue very him?
0: often the issue is dealt with differently, non-parabolically, more directly in the other Gospel? We've already seen that, by the way, in our study thus far, where something, one teaching which we have in Matthew is echoed by a. Mm, related, but not the exact same teaching in Luke. They can't be identified as Q parallels, but they, they address the same subject. We've already seen that. Similarly, you get a very similar kind of thing when, when you have a parable that is converted into a straightforward teaching. As you do across the line which may be one of the ways you settle the the argument. You may not recognize, we may not recognize the parallel in Luke for a teaching from Matthew that shows up as white in Matthew and yellow in Luke. And yet they deal with the same topic. You get a lot of this interspersing and blending. And many scholars agree, and I think they're right, that in many cases where you have for example, in Matthew, white, blue, blue, white, 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 blue, blue, white, 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 blue, blue, and mixed white and blue together, what you really got is more solid blue. With Matthew quoting in large chunks and only interpreting slightly in places uh, and adding to thereby Q material. So the narrow gate warnings, which has some Q, i.e., there's parallels over here in Luke, the narrow gate warnings. Are blue and white, meaning there's some unique stuff to, uh, to Matthew interspersed within it, but it has strong parallels in Luke where it 's blue, and in some places, very similar examples of that are blue and yellow, where they both include material that is not exactly uh, part of the Q material paralleled but appear to be unique, may actually not be unique or maybe interpreted in many cases. Well, how do we know that Jesus taught in parables so much? That was a pretty common feature of ancient Middle Eastern teaching modes, parabolic teaching. So then why would Luke
3: or somebody, either one of them, distill it into something different then?
0: Uh, Or you might ask why would Luke Who's, who's convert, communicating his gospel to Gentile audiences? Not do what John did and convert many of these parables into dialogues, a very Greek oriented way of teaching. That's what John does. John takes much of the teaching material that we've got here and converts them into dialogues with lots of interpretation, with only a couple of parables.
1: Has there been a chart done that does nope. something similar? Uh, in fact,
0: that's a PhD project right there. <laughs> and I was also saying, thinking
1: the same thing with what you said in terms of a PhD, PhD program for taking the white and the yellow that might be looking like they're separate and not unique at all and saying, well, no, they really are because they're talking about the same thing. And yeah, so and there are
0: examples of that in some studies that have gone to advance. mean, this chart's old, remember? Yeah. And has gone to advance some of the material a little way. I wouldn't want to try to redo that chart that way, not at this point in time. But, but there is less yellow and more blue on a mo- more modern version of this chart, less white and more blue on a modern so version it of this chart. Some. But it's, it's not been done a whole lot, because this kind of study fell out of vogue in the 1980s when they started going into a different approach to synoptic studies. Um, I still find it fascinating. Um, but you can see how Luke distributes the blue. They're still chunks, but he distributes the blue some. And imagine that these yellow-blue sections are mostly blue, and that'll help you. They look kind of green here, but that's what you get when you put blue and yellow together. <laughs> um, you can see how Luke did it, and you can see how Matthew does it, too. Like these white sections, you know, these two parables ought to be blue. They really ought to be blue. At least that's my opinion. Now, many scholars will say. Oh, goody, we should have another table. Many scholars will say that this whole question invalidates the theory of Q. I think it strengthens it. I think it strengthens it. That there was a source prior to Matthew and Luke, a written source they both had, that had the stories pretty much in the same sequence. Both copies had them in the same sequence, but they used them differently. Matthew quoting it in larger chunks, at least up here. Luke distributing that large chunk a little more evenly throughout, as we see in my focused-in chart on the Sermon on the Mount as distributed in Luke.
4: Don't you think the alternative
2: is to that, whether it's a written source or oral source or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, is that they got them from each other?
0: The other alternative is the strongest of the two alternatives is that Matthew got it. I mean, Luke got it from Matthew. Uh, but there's too many problems with that theory. Likewise, if, if Matthew got it from Luke, how do you explain many of the particularities that you have in Matthew that that appear to be more primitive than Luke? That's the problem. Some things in Matthew appear to be more primitive. Some things in Luke appear to be more primitive. It, it's a difficult thing to deal with, and it can't be oral because it's way too liter- literarily linked the similarities down to word order and grammatical structure and we've already seen
4: that well i was just going to say isn't it likely that many of these stories or sayings that got written down in Q that they were probably told multiple times oh I mean, yeah it's to say that it only happened once and good argument it could be accurate in terms of a sequence just point of view to have happened during this sequence of events right. and during that sequence of events and they just as authors assembled it We've actually already There's seen noise. that.
0: Some places, Luke quotes the same thing twice. <laughs> Luke will quote the same teaching of Jesus or the same saying of Jesus twice, obviously drawing from the same material because it needed to be applied a second time. How many preachers do you know only tell the one, the, the, the one illustration one time? <laughs> Certainly not me. <laughs> I'm going to get as much mileage as, as I can out of as, many, as few illustrations of I got. I mean, I'm not a storytelling preacher. I tell one illustration per sermon usually, at at most. So Jesus was going to be the same way. He would tell and retell many of his teachings many different times, often probably the same way, and it was those stories that he told, the teachings that he told, the parables that he used frequently that probably made the deepest impression
4: and hence got written down. But that makes it even more explainable, especially in a parable. You challenge yourself, maybe I can use a slightly different parable. <laughs> so it's the same topic, but the, the parable itself is altered slightly. Would could, the Greeks
3: understand the parables? Yes,
0: parabolic teaching was not unknown to them. Not unknown. But for the Gentiles
3: coming into the church, they would, the Greeks, would they would be up for that?
0: They'd be up for it. it. It would. It would be a type of literature that while they were, it wasn't, Top, front, and center is their favorite kind of teaching method. It was still there; they, they still utilized. It, so they, they would get a, it. The, it. Was considered more folks. The, the Prodigal
3: Son. They would know. They would, they would know to say, "Okay, oh don't no. put God up here and Jesus here, and just switch those people." They understand
0: that they are symbols. Wow. That each character is a symbol. They were the ancient people were hu- especially not only the Jews, but especially the, the Gentiles too, were very sophisticated in terms of literature, in terms of symbolism. We, we do them an injustice when we say that they cannot understand metaphor and simile. They do beautifully, much better than we do. They understand symbolism. And that would be true even in parabolic teaching, especially in parabolic teaching, but also in the dialogue teaching in John, which is much more straightforward but still has lots of symbolism in it. But that's that's how John handled it. He converted it for a Gentile audience. Many of the same teachings converted to dialogues. So what we've been doing, this is to give us our context for what we're going to do next. What we've been doing is following this chart essentially in Matthew's (coughs) sequence in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to pick that up tonight. Midstream, where, we've, where we left off, and take a look at a couple of teachings that are found only in Matthew. And then at something that is in both. So, let's begin. Turn to Matthew 6 1 through 4. You need to turn to your Bibles for that. And if you notice, looking on the chart, looking out to the right, you notice there's nothing straighter, straight across. And there's no line coming out from it to take you to another area in Luke. This is unique. This is going to be unique to Matthew. And this is something that's unique to Matthew, I mean, yeah, unique to Matthew, that does not have a parallel, even tangentially in Luke. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. And now he's going to give us examples of that. That's the basic theorem. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them for the purpose of being recognized for your wonderful piety. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven implied being you got it already. They have seen your piety or your supposed piety. Now we're going to get two examples of where that functions. The first one is in giving. So whenever you give an alms or whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. Truly I tell you, They have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Hmm. Don't sound the trumpet. Don't, uh, 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 don't sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets when you give money. They, they literally the did that yeah. back in our culture? It, 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 it was very, um, very common to make sure that people saw what you gave. So they would think good of you. Oh, what a good and generous mm-hmm. man he is. He gives tons of money to the poor and the sick and the invalid, what a good and generous man he is. Well, guess what? There's his reward, Jesus says. That's his reward. Those people saying, oh, what a good and generous man he is. Notice how he then contradicts this. He then says, but when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I mean, that's far from making sure that others notice. You don't, you're, this hand doesn't know what this hand does. Which is, of course, not to be taken literally. <laughs> you know, you don't do this to give alms with a hand tied behind your back. It, it, it's definitely something of a um, hyperbolic metaphor for making sure that what you do is done I, think, I think the
2: trumpet part is too, don't you?
0: Yes, but not. It's the trumpet part, he is, but not declaring what you're doing. All right. Declaring what you're doing. I love the use of hyperbole. by the way, that's a very strong Jewish structure, a Jew- Jewish uh, device that Jesus absolutely used to make a point. It's used throughout the Old Testament too. When you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your alms may be done in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So the reward comes not from people seeing what you're doing, but from God, God's self.
4: King James says, "Reward thee openly." Reward thee. Okay, now read read it. Read read that. How does that go? But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what the right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret, Himself shall reward thee openly. Open.
5: Wow. Okay.
1: It's a little different. <laughs> it's interesting because it kind of points out an interest. Yeah. Change. I mean, here he's saying, "Don't do it openly," but yet when I reward you, I'm going to
0: reward you openly. Is it in there in the, in the original? It like, mm-hmm. yeah, sounds like an add-on. You I'm looking that, to yeah, see it if like it's ours. an addition. It is an addition. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's um, found in uh, several late manuscripts of the eighth, ninth, and tenth century, as well as the Latin translation. Uh, reward thou openly that which is done secretly. <laughs> so, so that's almost, that's an addition. However, it, saying it's an addition is one thing. But think about the reward. Might not the reward be visible and people not know for what it came? Could well be. I think the, in, the point of interest is the reward. And, and, and there's no parallelism here. The father who sees in secret will reward you in secret, which is what some people might want to think. <laughs> no. It, the father who sees in secret will reward. Hmm.
1: They also, I think you're on to something because um, they mentioned here that in the Greek, um, the verb to reward when referring to the hypocrites is different than the, the reward to the disciples yeah from verse
0: one and four uh-huh. accolade as opposed to reward uh-huh. that's how i would translate that well how, how about the huh. the uh,
2: subject uh, sentence for the, you have no reward from your father is it your father in heaven, or is it your reward in heaven from your father? Is it, what is the, because the... Oh, up at the very beginning, yeah. Getting your reward in heaven would suggest that it's a bit more, a bit less transparent.
0: Bit. No, that, well, as it's written here, for then you have, you, you have no reward from your father in heaven. Oh, he's in heaven. From, from the heavenly father, heavenly father. From God. And let me let me double check and make sure that's how it reads in Greek. para to patra umon to in tois arenois. Yeah, from your father who is in heaven. It's saying no no earthly reward from your father in heaven who is in heaven. So yeah, that's what that means. It's well, not a heavenly reward. Is that what yeah. Saying? Well, it would be no reward. Period. But the the in heaven portion is on the Father. On the Father who is in heaven is how I would translate it. To patri humon to in tois aranois from your Father who is in heaven. So that's how I would read that. So the reward is not delineated but the assumption would have to be a concrete reward or an actual reward of some kind but not limited to heaven. Otherwise, it would say it would say something more like, "For uh, then you have no heavenly reward from your heavenly Father or from your Father." Period. The, the heavenly. <coughs> no, that guy in Houston. What's his name? The end the guy? prosperity. Oh gosh, prosperity. <laughs> well, when you take a ma- piece of material like this and twist it, you can come up with that. But there's lots of kinds of rewards on earth. I can think of lots of them, not only monetarily, but my goodness there's many spiritual rewards that have an impact right here from things like giving. Absolutely. Without without any question at all. And the important part is not to get, when you give, it's not to get the recognition of your fellow human beings. It's to do what God calls you to do. It's to follow God's call on your life. And there is a reward in that in and of itself. By the very nature of it, as well as a proactive reward coming from God for the giving.
2: But those don't sound like rewards that are openly visible. Wow, that's really, yeah, the depends, on, yeah. depends
0: on the discernment of the person looking. I can look at someone who is a very giving person. They don't trumpet their giving all around the place, but they are a giving person and you can see the impact in their life, their, their joy, their peace, their excitement with living, their excitement in giving and in service, and you can see that they, grow, they draw incredible joy from it. That's definitely a gift of God and a reward that cannot be missed if you're paying attention to them. They may be living in a tiny little house and driving a 10-year-old car, but they're having great joy in what they're doing, and that's a gift from God. So, you know, it depends upon what you're, how you're judging reward, too. Most people think the reward is, you know, coins or dollars or bank accounts or, you know. And, and it might be, but there are other kinds of rewards, too. So, you know, don't get bogged down into that. Let's look at another example of the principle in the next part. Six, five, and six, which is you see, has, again, no parallel. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you
1: again the King James adds openly Openly
0: <laughs> <Same, laughs> the same source <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: yeah same source exactly um Hmm. This, is the exact, this is an exact parallel example of six, two through four, six, five and six the same basic thing is being said. Don't pray for others to see you praying. That in and of itself brings its uh, accolade or reward. Nothing frustrates me more than to go to a preacher's meeting and listen to preachers pray the long-winded bloviating drives me nuts oh father we just want to thank you for all the glorious measure of thy creation you created the heavens and the moons and the stars and all the beautiful plants of the earth and the animals and the trees and god knows what god made do you have to tell god and and the other thing that drives me crazy is father we just want us father we just want,
1: want the father we just want, want
0: us W A N N A. Father, Father, we just want to. In your prayer. Father, we just want to. Father, we just want to. Father, we just want. We just want to praise you. We just want to thank you. We just want to come to you in glory. Then do it. Thank you. You know, say we praise you. We thank you. We come to you. Don't don't have to add in all that other junk.
2: Greg, when he prays, he just anything
0: he can do with, while inhaling. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I tr- it shocked everybody. Hey, Lord. One of my, within my first few weeks here, we had a dinner. And I got up there and I said, the Lord be with you.
3: And also with, you. with you.
0: Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the food we were about to receive. The hands that prepared and brought it. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: And it was like... Not that fast. They,
0: they turned and looked at me like... <laughs> That was the prayer. And I said, I'm hungry. Let's eat. <laughs> That's better than through the teeth and through the gums. Look, our stomach, here it comes. <laughs> you remember those prayers. <laughs> Why go on forever? When I was in, you remember this. When I was in seminary, you know, you get a whole bunch of you know, student preachers together and they were trying to impress each other with their praying. We get tired of praying. And so we used to, oh, I don't want to have to pray this time. And who prays when you have nine or ten clergy sitting around the table? So we got into the habit of doing this. <laughs> and the person who got the thumbs up last had to pray. And so, and you couldn't do it the instant you got seated. No, that doesn't work. You have to wait for everybody else to get seated and then do it and catch somebody unawares. Then they had to pray. And, in, you know, invariably... It'd be the one person who had long-winded, slow-moving prayers. And this guy started praying, David Howitt. he started praying, and it went on and on and on. And I'm sitting there, and I'm realizing, you know, we've got to get back at an the annual conference really soon. So I picked up a fork and started eating in the middle of his prayer. But, but anyway, I taught this practice to Siegelville. And so when we'd go out to eat, in a group of us, you know, it's probably doing this. <laughs> and I tried to beat each other so we wouldn't have to pray. I mean, you know, it was... Because I I find this business of praying in public for the recognition of others to be noxious. There's a reason to pray. Pray. You know, don't waste God's time or yours or mine. Pray and, and say what needs to be said and be done. And that's essentially the example I gave is, you know... You know, I've had a few people here say to me... You don't pray very long pastoral prayers, do you? (laughs) No, I don't. I don't. They're done in about two minutes. (laughs) If that, because it doesn't need it. God's already heard the needs. God knows our ignorance. I mean, yeah, God knows our ignorance and knows our needs before we ask. So why do we need to belabor it? And that's what's being talked about here. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues. I know so many clergy who love to stand and pray in church to be heard. And it's tempting. Getting asked to pray at an annual conference by the bishop is an honor. Oh my goodness. Don't ask Greg to pray. I, mean, I heard a DS tell the bishop that once. Don't ask Greg to pray. It'll be the shortest prayer in the annual conference. And he asked me to pray because of that. And I did exactly what I do. I got up before the microphone. I said, the Lord be with you. The whole floor of the annual conference said "And also with you. I said, let us pray. Almighty God, as we go to our lunches, bless the food to the nourishment of our bodies and our bodies to your service and the hands that prepared it in Jesus' name, amen. And the whole room erupted in applause. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that was a long prayer from me. <laughs> and, and it said what needed to be said. And that's, that's what's being said here. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. They've gotten their accolade if they've prayed these big, heavy words for people to hear. Now, notice what it says next. Whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, take into account that just as in the other one, there's a little bit of hyperbole going on. A little bit of an exaggeration, just as there was in the beginning, there is here too. And the principle, however, is exceedingly sound. If you wouldn't pray it in your room, don't pray that way out in public. That's how I take this. How many of those preachers who stand up and pray 20-minute prayers, in which they tell God how wonderful God is, and in, in, in describe the glories of God's creation in flowing poetry and go very long winded on the subject. How many of those preachers do that when they're in their private prayer closet praying, just them and God? They don't do that. They don't do that at all. They might. For the most part, no. Most of them, if they're going to go into praise, they'll go into true praise.
1: But if
0: they like hearing
1: themselves talk. Well, yeah. <laughs> good <laughs> point. Good point. I tend See, to believe that most jealous. of those
0: people will not pray that way in private who pray that way in public. Because they're praying to be heard of other people. Now, in private, My prayers are longer than they are in public. (laughs) They're kind of inverted. But I'm not going to pray the very long-winded prayer in public because it doesn't need to be prayed. If a a prayer needs to be longer, it, it, it gets prayed in public even. But if it doesn't need to be, don't do it. And likewise, pray in private what needs to be said between you and God. And let your prayers be that kind of prayer. All the time. Straightforward. What is prayer? Is it just talking to God? Or is it talking to God and listening to God? More, You know, God gave, as the old saying goes, God gave us two eyes and two ears, but only one mouth. So we should listen and read twice as much as we talk. But we're not very good at that. Especially not those of us who wear basic black. So... Um, there's another well, I mean, illustration of this. Carpenters
2: are, there are different animals. Some kind, you know. I mean, totally yeah, different. Some preachers here, they, they do another sermon, or they recap their sermon, <laughs> or the, you know, whatever. But it, it doesn't seem to be talking to God when they're when
0: they're no. doing that. You no, know? it's talking to the people who are sitting
2: them? there listening. And, and that, I mean, that's probably all right. But you know, we probably don't need to hear the sermon again. <laughs> <so> <laughs>
0: either. That's what this, litanies yeah. are about. Yeah. In many cases. The written liturgies are that way. And rightfully so, and there's a place for those. Um, true prayer, though, doesn't need to be for show. Where do prayer meetings come in with
1: this? Hmm? Where do prayer meetings... Do, Where a know, bunch
0: pray. get together and pray together? Yeah. The same way. Pray in the prayer meeting what you would have prayed alone but you pray with others. Not for necessarily for those others to hear, but to be in unison with the others, together, praying to God. There's a place for that too. And plenty of biblical witness to it, in Old and New Testament, especially New Testament. We get a little bit in error when we take this passage and extend it to the extreme, to say there's never to be any prayer outside of the closet. That's not what it means. That's not what it's saying. Or you should never pray when you're in public or at the restaurant. Uh, Sometimes there's a witness to be made by offering a prayer at the restaurant. And it doesn't need to be some ridiculous, drawn out event either. And it even becomes a more powerful witness when it's not. Because it's obviously just you and your family right there in that moment. And that becomes a powerful witness. Even if no one can hear what you say, which is actually a good thing. They still know you're doing it. And the importance of being in a prayer group or a prayer meeting and praying together, yes, the other people are hearing your prayer, hearing the need. And that's kind of what we do, for example, here at this church in our prayer time. Everybody offers up their prayer needs. Sometimes it's short. Sometimes it's longer than the sermon. <laughs> and it, it kind of and if the needs are great, they need to be voiced so the congregation can hear. I don't then need to revoice them. Likewise, when we meet in a small prayer group and you know five or six people pray together, that's that's a very similar kind of thing. You're voicing your prayers up both for your neighbor to hear, more importantly for God. And then you're listening to hear what God will say. Now the pattern for prayer is going to come next in the Our Father. And the Our Father is found in both Matthew and in Luke. And it's sometimes called, often called, the Lord's Prayer. That's a misnomer. It's the prayer that the Lord taught us. Um, And you'll notice there's actually a parallel in Mark. Well, Mark didn't have the Lord's Prayer. It actually doesn't, but it does. Notice what it says. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that, your father, uh, so that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. And this is, you'll find this in Mark eleven twenty-five, 25, which I'm getting ready to pass out the Lord's prayer to y'all. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Many have identified, and I think they're correct, have identified that as a core of, a very core teaching of Jesus. It's one of the teachings that's actually found in Mark. And you see that then in in the Our Father. Matthew six verse seven. When you are praying, do not he- heap up empty praises as the Gentiles phrases. Excuse me, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that we be heard because of their many words. Or uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> mm. Uh, God loves a bloviator, I suppose, is, well, is the attitude that they've got, but nevertheless, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Hmm. Hmm. So for the person who goes into private to pray to God, even there, in the context of Matthew, this follows directly on from that. When you are praying... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Like, you know, if I, if I say a whole lot of things, God's going to hear me. Well, God might tune you out. If you... <laughs> that would be my fear. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I guess Jesus was a Presbyterian. That's how they do the Lord's Prayer with with debts and debtors. And do not bring us into the time of trial but rescue us from the evil one. And there's no doxology at the end of it. Which Protestants have added. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses.
3: That doesn't sound very
0: Christian. Right? Oof. What are you talking about? Forgiving, it sounds exceedingly uh-huh. that's, that's
3: Christian. Tip for tat. You've got to be forgiving. Uh-huh. I understand that, but I think there's some... Abuse.
0: As we forgive those who trespass against us. Take a look at Luke.
1: I think that's very humbling, though, when you really think about that. You know, because if you put yourself, do you want to be forgiven by God the way you're willing to forgive other people?
0: You might interpret this this way uh, Forgive us our trespasses, our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us, meaning, as we have forgiven, so also forgive us. Or to the extent extent that we have have forgiven. It doesn't give you, to me, it's always
1: given a burden of being more conscious of how you forgive other people because it's a constant reminder that God expects us to forgive those. If
0: you expect to be forgiven, you better be willing to forgive. Right. And if you expect to be able to withhold forgiveness for certain reasons... Maybe some of your sins won't be forgiven for certain reasons. That is that is kind of like a warning. Yeah, it's a warning. Sorry. And if God forgave that person, who are you to think that you should forgive them? I that's mean, one of the, the, those. we means. got parables on that one that we're going to come <laughs> sure. to. Some fabulous parables we're going to come to on that one about forgiveness. Absolutely. Absolutely correct. Look at Luke. He was praying in a certain place. This is Luke 11:1. He was playing in, he was playing. He was praying in a certain place. And notice the context is different. He's actually praying here. He's not teaching. Yeah. He has been teaching about prayer he has been teaching about giving he has been teaching about doing these things setting this principle about practicing your piety before others in order that they may be seen by them for you will have no reward for you have no reward from your father in heaven if you practice your piety in front of others he's not doing he's not teaching he's praying He was pra- he was practicing his piety. he was praying in a certain place now. The next thing you know, you notice is he wasn't alone. And after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, they, they, they knew he was praying, Lord, teach us to pray as John, the baptizer, taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. Wow. That's briefer. That's a Greg Neal prayer, real thing. thing, thing, thing. Not nearly as fleshed out. This is an example of where Luke seems to contain a quote unquote more primitive version of the Jesus teaching that, that would be found in Q. This is Q material, definitely.
1: What does it mean, and do not bring us to the time of trial? Because um, I don't see that in... Yeah, it's it's
0: right. there. Yeah. Verse 13, and do not bring us it's to the time a of, of trial,
4: oh, it's a, I guess it's but rescue us from
0: the evil one.
4: This is
1: the equivalent of lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation.
0: Okay. Lead us not into temptation. temptation. Okay. As as prayed by most most Protestants these days, um, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What's the Greek for temptation? <clears throat> uh, it's not temptation here. It's
2: trial. Uh-huh.
0: Verse thirteen. Yeah, don't take as a trial to we'll be convicted. Can't do that. Peri Trial. Uh, um, trial or judgment, but it's it's more official in a sense. Um, yeah, uh,
4: quite literally trial. I always interpret it as in the context of because the next phrase is deliver us from evil, I've always made it, maybe incorrectly so, parallel to Jesus' temptation. That's government. So as, as we're talking about you know, those kinds of trials, those kinds of Really on target there,
0: because the modern translation of temptation, which uh, actually you think is, isn't it King James? Mm-hmm. That concept is getting close. Trial, the, the, the trial of, of, of being faced with uh, that which for which you may be judged. Being tempted is, is the idea. Being placed on trial to see if you will fail. The temptation is the basic concept here.
3: And yeah, this this the interpretation here says don't do not lead us through trials so deep that they would tempt us to be
0: unfaithful to you. Yeah, that interpretation or the NIV?
3: That's the NIV's interpretation. Read the NIV. Uh, I knew you were going to do that. Verse 13. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us
0: not into temptation, Temptation. deliver us from the evil one. Temptation. Oh, and temptation. then read your, read your interpretation again.
3: That is, do not lead us through trials so
0: deep that they would tempt us to be unfaithful to you. Well, any trial could tempt us to be unfaithful to God. But it is the kind of trial that, that has been identified in the temptations of Jesus it's that kind of but it's almost judicious in a sense in that it's almost a formalized event to try to get you almost like with Job Try to get you to denounce God but it has an official kind of character to it
1: it reminds me of the uh, we're never given more than uh, we can
0: handle, we can we can handle. Mm-hmm.
1: what did John teach his disciples they taught his it,
0: that he point taught point them, point. them a pattern of prayer that he taught them a pattern of prayer. Well, what that pattern was, we don't know. (laughs) It may have been something similar to this. It probably put repentance closer to the top, by the way. Now notice, there's a five-point prayer here. I'm pulling this from Luke. Uh, Father, hallowed be your name. You praise God. Your kingdom come. You say you're willing to be a part of God's kingdom. You're a member of God's kingdom, a subject of God's kingdom. You're part of God's kingdom. Uh, ask for what you need. Give us this day your your daily bread, or give us each day our daily bread. Ask for needs. Forgive us our sins. Ask for forgiveness, and ask to be delivered from temptation a five point prayer which is
1: different than when it talks about you know, faith being tried in the fire obviously there's got to be some sense of well, temptation to have you grow so that you, you know have to make the right choices do we really want
0: that all the time uh, sometimes those temptations are hard to say no to look at the Matthew parallel is it the same prayer yes it is our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the praise. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's to be part of God's kingdom. It's more flowerly. It's, it's, it's been fleshed out some, but it's the same thing. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread. Say, that's almost the, word for word the same. And
1: in, um, Ask the for what you is, need. The word daily is only Very rare. In fact, we don't know what that word is because it's so rare. In, um, it's a rare Greek word.
0: Um, um, epiosion. Uh, well, I know it is daily, but it, epiosion means uh, episodically. They actually I get the word episode from it. Epioseon is the word from which we get the word episode. Happy weekly lunch. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how we would do it. But <laughs> e- e- it- episodically. <laughs> you only want to eat a Give us week. this episode <laughs> our daily bread. But <laughs> well, That's the basic idea. We get the word episode from it, but it means give us that which we need for our current living. That's just maybe what we
3: need when we need it. Give us what, give we, it need what we, need we, need we need
0: when
2: we need it. Yeah, That's another way to put it.
0: Yeah. You were going to say, it, Pete? Well, it's a minimalist. Yeah. Not overabundance. Yeah. Just not cup runneth over. Just what we need. And stay what tuned next week. week? <laughs> 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 well, you're going to get more then. What you need for then. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Uh, that there is ask For forgiveness. Do not bring us into the time of trial, but res- uh, t- time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. That's um, deliver us from temptation. But notice that rescue from the evil one, identification of and, and you could pull this straight out of Job, who engages in the tri- tri- trials and temptations. Well, it's the one who walks around on the earth and sees the servant Job. I mean, that's, that's the... This is a very Jewish, Hebraic understanding of where temptations come from. Uh, yeah, there are tests ultimately from God executed by the evil one to see if you'll slip and fall. And the desire is not to be thrown into that or, or to be led through it Which is the other way of looking at it. Jesus didn't run away from the temptations in the wilderness. He went through them. He went through them. The desire is not to have to face them. But notice what it says at the very end in Matthew's version. Rescue us from the evil one. Deliver us from evil. Would assume, indicate, uh, communicate the concept of you're going to go through it. Don't Let us fall to the trial of the evil one. It sounds like
3: we're trying to cheat a little bit, though, don't you
0: think? Well, we don't want to have to go through it. And if you're you're honest, you're going to say that. Uh, Of course you don't want to. I mean, I want to have my faith toughened, but I don't want it to hurt. I don't want it (laughs) to be hard. If I'm honest, that's what I'm going to say. And the other thing that I... It's not contained here, but it's kind of implicit throughout the whole thing. And actually it is implicit throughout this is the idea that it's in your prayers that you should be the most honest I mean we may lie to ourselves and we may lie to other people but what good does it do to lie to God the height of stupidity and ignorance (laughs) is to try to lie to God but so often we do um I don't need to forgive Rich for what he did to me. Heck. I'm not going to forgive him. I don't want to forgive him. I want to hold over him. I hope you do so God will get you for that. Oh, wow. Thank you, Rich.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but the point
0: right there. <laughs> right. Um, we need to be honest with our, both our need for forgiveness and our need to forgive. We need to be honest with our needs. We need to be honest. Are we true? Are, are we willing to believe and to make our lives conform to the statement, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Do we really want to have God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Do we really want that? Be honest on yourself on this. How would be your name. Glorious and heavenly is your name. That's the praise part right there. So you've got a pattern of prayer here, and it's the same in both places. It's not so much that we're supposed to recitate the prayer, but to learn how to let the pattern guide all of our prayer. You praise God, you assert that you're on God's side, and you want God's will to be done no matter what. You ask for what you need, you ask for forgiveness for what you've done, and you ask to either be delivered from or led through the time of trial and delivered from the evil one.
2: This, this is also a model for corporate prayer. Isn't oh, it I mean, it's, it's a model is, for all prayer. Well, but all these words are, these are
0: plural. Give us. Plural.
2: Give us. Forgive us.
0: Forgive
2: us one forgive. of the weirdest
0: experiences living outside of a monastic community has been to pray morning and evening prayer according to the order and structure in the Book of Common Prayer, where everything is done in the plural. I'm sitting alone in my chapel at home and I'm singing the the evening prayer, even song, and it's all in plural. And I'm doing not just the Lord be with you, but the also with you, sitting there by myself,
3: yeah, have to tell the dog to do that. You
0: know. Dorcas will sit there and look at me. But, <laughs> but not howl. She doesn't stop howling a long time ago. She'll often come into the room, though, when I'm in there because she'll hear me in there. And she'll sit down beside me while I pray. And it's a strange. Someone who watches me think must think I'm absolutely crazy. And I've done it for 15, 20 years. Almost every night. And when I have people visiting with me, they, I invite them to come in and pray with me. And it's nice because I have somebody to pray with. But it, it is a corporate pattern of prayer, because, but it's not just a corporate pattern of prayer because of the plurals. It's because all prayer is to be the same way. Hence, don't pray out in public, what you wouldn't pray in the room, and don't pray in the room, which you wouldn't in public. Pray Pray all prayer the same Corporate and private. And notice what they asked. Teach us to pray. When you pray, say these things. These Pray this, this, this type of prayer. And the commonalities between them are critical. But notice what Matthew gives at the very end in 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses. This is the summation of the prayer. It's like they were shocked by this, and so he had, to, he had to nail it home. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now
1: that's added by Luke, not by
0: Jesus. That's in Matthew. I
1: mean by Matthew. That's by in Jesus. Matthew.
0: It's not in Luke, although it's implicit. And forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. Notice how that's written. Notice that's in present tense. And forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. In in Matthew, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's perfect. Huh? Here in Luke, it's this is what we do. In Matthew, this is what we've done. I'm not sure there's any difference between that. Both of them are very powerful statements.
2: Well, I think Matthew's much more conditional. Sort of oh, yeah. Like, well. But 14 <laughs> and 15 <laughs> absolutely yeah. whereas worse. This one seems like a like a.
0: Motivational statement. Yeah. Almost. yeah. As as we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, it forgive sounds, us as we forgive.
3: It sounds like a jubilee thing, it's, doesn't it? Yeah,
0: but it still establishes a conditional situation whereby, oof, if we do it, it, don't. It, it, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. What if that's a lie? Yeah. What if you don't forgive everyone who's indebted to you? Well, you're not, going to get the, you're not going to get and forgive us our sins answered. At least not that way, or at least not to that extent. Matthew is certainly clearer on the subject and then nails it down in 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The a parable of the unmerciful servant is found in Matthew, where that is articulated in parabolic form, and it's unique to Matthew. All right. As for whether or not it's found, uh, it is. It's found paralleled, but but in a form that is unique in Luke. Unjust steward. no one's not telling you to forgive
1: the other people Um, clearly it's not talking about anybody asking for forgiveness so as a Christian if you don't ask for
0: forgiveness it's proactive forgiveness it's not rich coming and begging me to forgive him for what he did to me it's me going and, and forgiving
1: whether he wants... Even if he doesn't want forgiveness. Yeah. That's exactly even if right. he doesn't feel like he needs
0: Regardless of his repentance, contrition,
1: it's irrelevant. Yeah, because it it's not mentioned Because it's
0: about you in this case. We hold things against people. We hold things against people and we only hurt ourselves. And we only make it impossible for ourselves to receive. Our own resentment and refusal to forgive stops up, clogs up, congests our ability to receive forgiveness. Something I say during Lent repeatedly. We must flush out our spiritual sinuses and forgive in order to receive, breathe in, and receive God's glorious forgiveness. That's. Sorry, I missed that. Here for that Well, uh, <laughs> I'm in the process of planning my Lenten sermons, and that's <laughs> that's got to come out. So for that, one, <laughs> that It's called a spiritual blowing of the nose. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just
3: thought of was the other
0: procedure. There. Oh no, I <laughs> thought i doing the other procedure. If that would <laughs> work with you. It <laughs> won't work with.
5: Okay, yeah, <laughs> There's this thing.
3: Listen, both times he's got. Do not bring us both of them passages. Yes. Right after we're forgiven. Yes. You, you know, We forgive us our debts says we also have forgiven our debt. And okay. do not bring us into the... Why table. does that come right after that in both places? That's almost like it's connected. I don't see why no anyone ever said that's a covenant well, conjunction. That might be connected.
0: You, if you do not... Yeah. Is it a chi? It is, is. It's a chi. Yeah. It, it's and. Yeah. Um, if you do not forgive and you have therefore not received forgiveness, you are going to fail the trial. Absolutely. This looks like it's connected. You also might be able to make an argument. Each one builds upon the next. You praise God and you establish yourself as being part of God's kingdom. You then ask for what you need. Which is forgiveness. <laughs> really, it's the, it's the grace to forgive mm-hmm. and be forgiven and then to go through that trial or hit that trial and not succumb to the evil one. So you can see it as a progression, a powerful progression. If you pull out verse 12 and look at it across the sequence from from Matthew to Luke, forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. How does the language of debt because he you notices know it's in both debt. How, how, does, how do you receive that? Is that making you comfortable? Does that communicate to you well? Or does trespasses or sins work? Are you more a Presbyterian? <laughs> are you more an Episcopalian? Or are you more a Methodist? We
3: said that debtor thing back in, in 30 years ago in Georgia, Middle Georgia Methodist Church, all the time. We oh, killed them. Let's then we see. finally went to trespasses and everybody was screwed up saying debtors. Yeah, then I, I went to a Presbyterian what, what church, what, what,
0: what church. What kind of Methodist church were you in? Was I in Israel? It, Is it a it's, Methodist church? Yeah, United. It was well. It wasn't a United Methodist Church then. No. Was it originally a Methodist Protestant church from before the merger in 1940? Mm, no, it was a 52. 1951 or 52 is when it was established. Oh, so it didn't predate. Mm. Okay. Because the Methodist Protestant Church prior to the merger of the Methodist Protestant Church and the Methodist Episcopal Church in 1940, they 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 tended to be more Calvinist, and they did tend to. Debtor say debtors like the Presbyterians. Did, you, did do. the Atlanta churches say
3: debtor, or did any of the churches in the South say debtor?
0: Well, i was only there the one year recently, so. Oh, okay. Yes. But that doesn't—that's uh, interesting because Methodist yeah, it, because usually, usually it debts is the Presbyterian version. And then we change, yeah, and, then and trespasses is Church, Methodist you know, and other it Protestants. It Lutheran. Lutherans mm-hmm. tend. Lutherans mm-hmm. tend to say sins. Although they will say trespasses or depending say on trespasses, what. Trespasses. Trespasses. If trespasses. If they're Missouri Synod, yes. they'll say trespasses. Yeah. I think that's right. I, I was pres- started Presbyterian. That's right.
2: mm-hmm.
0: And so Episcopalians will say sins along with Roman Catholics. Although they will also say trespasses depending upon, upon where in the country you're from and your tradition. Mm. What's it being translated from? Uh, of the Mata Say that
1: again? Of the Mata
0: Of the Mata Ta of the Mata And forgive us our Debts What we owe yeah. what, what, what we What we are owing What we What we lack See, I thought, well, I thought it was always related to Jubilee,
3: because those people would have understood
0: that. Well, That's in a funny. modern society today, I think debts actually worked beautifully. <laughs> we understand money a whole lot better. We know we owe. Mm-hmm. We know we have debts that we can never repay. And here we have a, a, a plea for forgiveness. A plea for forgiveness of those debts. And it's not just monetary, but we can understand it monetarily a whole lot better at times. Now,
2: does Luke use the word sin or what does he use?
3: Bankruptcy
2: is what he, he used. uses. it?
0: He uses debts the second time through. <laughs> Everyone indebted to us. Well let me look. That, that's Luke eleven four? 4. <laughs> A, 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 and forgive us our sins. Tos tas, tas amatias. Forgive us our sins.
1: That's a, the Luke?
0: That's Luke. Kai aphas hamon toss amatias hamon. And forgive us our sins. Quite literally, sins. Yeah.
1: See, that seems like they're, when you look at it that way, completely different.
0: It does.
3: <laughs> but we changed them over here. Yeah, it but right, it right. uses
0: indebted to mm-hmm. us at the end there, mm-hmm. tie. and everyone indebted to us. So it, it switches. Wow. And
1: Well, yeah, because we can't, because the people who are indebted to us, it's, they're not sinning against us. That's a term, mm-hmm. armartia, falling short of God's righteousness. But, mm. right? but how
0: we treat others can be armartia. In fact, often is armartia. How we don't treat others as God would want us to treat them. When we mistreat other people, we are indeed engaging in hamartia. We are indeed engaging in falling short of what God wants for us to do. Remember the definition of the word hamartia, sin, is not the things that we do. It's it's an archery word, which means when you shoot the arrow at the target, it falls short of the target. It doesn't even hit the wall of the barn. It hits the ground between you and the target. It's that bad of a shot. That's the nature of sin—not—not not reaching the extent of God's will for you. It's not the things that you do; it's the failure to live up to God's expectations for you. But
2: that does seem to be a different concept from from
0: debts and debtors. No, yes, it does. I
2: mean, other I mean, than well, Matthew kind of brings it down
0: well, to our level, doesn't it? Other than. Luke is more theological here. The concept of debts, forgive us our debts, when you miss the mark, when you engage in hamartia, you establish debts that you can't repay because the, well, yeah. because, the, because the wages of sin, the wages of hamartia, what hamartia to pay back sin, you, you die. The only way you can pay for sin in the Jewish conception is with blood, death, Because sin brings death. So, yeah, and it's a debt you can't repay. And that's why, according to the theology of the church, that's why Jesus came. To die for us in our place as the blood sacrifice in our place once and for all to make restitution for the debts that we cannot afford to pay and still live and in so doing, wipe out this indebtedness that we have to
5: God.
0: Yeah, Matthew does bring it down to a little more tangible for human beings' sake. But the, ground, the, the theological groundwork is still there. We owe God a debt we can never repay with every time we fall short, with every time we miss the mark, fail to hit the target, and fall short, we owe God a debt. And we need to be forgiven those debts. And that's what we ask for. And it's amazing that it's not only Jesus, but Jesus here articulates it this way.
3: Well, Mark, they've got it, I noticed in the good old NIV, they use yeah. him, but then they pot this con, this is, an, and it points out what you just did in Matthew, in Matthew, but it also points out Mark saying the same exact thing oh, in a little different manner.
0: Where? Uh, 11.25. Yeah, that's what I have right here. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. If you have anything against anyone, forgive.
1: And what's the word trespasses
0: there in Mark? It's not trespasses. Oh, it's at the very end of the sentence, okay. Mark eleven. NIV did sins for yourself. It's almost certainly going to be Armatia. Let me look. 11.25. Armatia. Yeah, Armatais. Yes, it's Armatia. So, literally, um, so that your Father in heaven may also forgive your sins.
2: well there's no no Brilliant. question about what we're supposed to do though. oh, there. I mean, oh, oh, oh. yeah each other. <laughs> there is no question what we're supposed to do we are I'll called to
0: forgive anyone anything or everyone everything that they have done against us yeah, I think and there is no exception oh except for that time that you know Rich slapped me I'm not gonna you don't have to forgive me. no it doesn't say that
3: God forgive me baby or you don't get forgiven <laughs> I like that. There I can, I can is no that. exclusion here.
0: Well, they may do it again. There is no exclusion here. Well, I don't want to forgive them. There is no exclusion here. There is none. Not, not a bit. Not, 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 not a hint
5: of an exclusion.
1: Now, when Jesus you know, forgives one, it, you get that illustration of the Old Testament putting the sins on the, on the goat, putting them out. As mm-hmm. far as east is from west, your sins are forgiven. Totally so separate. It, it's a forgottenness, mm-hmm. and I—that's a challenge I think for anyone here, because that's probably the hardest. I mean, when you say forgive somebody, well, what exactly do you mean? I could—I could say, okay, I forgive you, but then how do you erase it from your mind? How do you not think about it when you see God. It or when they do it again? How how do you not?
0: God can do things that we can't. (laughs) And the thing that we have to be able to do is to forgive even though we can't forget. And that's the hard part. How do you not allow the pain and the anguish of something that's been done to you not control you so much or completely or totally? And that's what you're talking about. Relinquishing, letting go of the the deep pain that is being talked about
1: here. Maybe that's where ne- the next verse, that thirteenth verse, comes in to be delivered from the evil that sits inside each of us that wants to hold on to that.
0: And the temptation is to not let go of it. The trial is to not forgive, and when we do that, we play right into the devil's hands every time. To you have been listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2010 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information, or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite,
2: Texas, 75150. This program was produced
5: by Dr. Greg Neal.